Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee. And today I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jared Longshore down in Florida. He is a pastor and vice president of Founders Ministries. We talked about all things Southern Baptist convention and stuff. If you just saw a ton of tweets, didn't read any articles, I brought Jared on to give us the lowdown and to figure out what happened and to just kind of learn more about Southern Baptist stuff. So stay tuned for that. One book that I wanted to recommend, and why not, is uh, a book off the Canon Press shelf. It's called To a Thousand Generations, Infant Baptism, Covenant Mercy for the People of God. Why should we baptize babies when the Bible says nothing about it? Well, for years, Douglas Wilson was a Credo Baptist. He wasn't baptizing infants, even after accepting Calvinism and postmillennialism. However, when he sat down to write a book on baptism, he came to question his own views and to realize that the biblical teachings point in exactly the opposite direction. The result of that study is this book that's to a thousand generations, infant baptism, covenant mercy for the people of God. Doug shows that we do not get the Bible's position on baptism by cataloging all the verses on baptism, but instead by looking at circumcision, the shift from the old to the new covenant. Jesus' words on olive branches, and the assumptions that the New Testament Christians would have had. You can find that book today at canonpress.com, and you can tweet at Chocolate Knox to hurry up and finish the audio, which will be found on the Canon app. Cheers. All right, now welcoming on Dr. Jared Longshore. He's authored, edited, and contributed to multiple books, including By What Standard, Wisdom for Kings and Queens, and Strong and Courageous. He currently serves as a board member and vice president of Founders Ministries. And I once saw Ben Merkel nearly fall through a broken pier in his backyard, chasing what was surely a very fast alligator. Jared, thanks so much for coming on, man. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. You should really put a sign up on that pier in your backyard because, you know, we almost lost one of our greats. We call that uh, pier gator bait. Yeah, I know. We were chasing alligator. Yeah, yeah. It was an alligator, right? Not a crocodile. <laughs> Not to be confused. It just sounded big, so we chased it. I almost saw Ben Merkel fall through. So thanks so much for coming on, man. I wanted to start, if we could. It seems like the SBC has done like made headlines over like the last three years breaking into you know like washington post and cnn and you know i feel like you guys kind of earn a little bit of the world stage the crec has yet to make a washington post headline so you guys are definitely in the lead um <laughs> this year seemed not maybe as uh dramatic as previous years but maybe that's to the better could you sort of tell us about the sbc for those that don't know and then maybe we could get into a little bit of the drama of the of the last few years. Well, I could talk to you a lot about the SBC, and it's been around for 150 years. It is uh, it's not any kind of top down structure as you often think about with denominations. Their SBC churches are local churches; they're independent churches. The convention of churches is basically a partnership for the sake of missions. And okay. yet all sorts of entities have grown out of that. So there is a, there's an international mission board, which basically sends missionaries. It's a huge organization. I think they've had over 4,000 missionaries on the field. 
then there's another entity of the Southern Baptist Convention called the North American Mission Board. It's basically your stateside uh, focus, tons of church planners and revitalization work, that kind of thing. There are six seminaries, each one of them being an entity of the Southern Baptist Convention. There is the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, and then there's even other entities, but those are some of the major ones. Every one of those entities has some form of president, and then they, of course, have a staff, and then there are trustees of each of those entities uh, that um, basically hire and fire the president, and trustees are elected to those positions. Um, they're not paid, but they meet and ensure that that entity is doing what it ought to be doing. Okay. And then the convention meets once a year to uh, go about various business, hear reports, and elect the president of the whole convention. The president of the convention actually establishes a committee, which then establishes another committee, which then fills all the empty slots on the trustee boards of all the entities. And, uh, yeah, so messengers from the churches go, that's what we call them, uh, representatives go there to vote uh, on various things that are put before the, before the convention. Okay. A lot of people, not me, but a lot of people are saying this is just a poor man's presbytery. Do you have a comment about that? <laughs> well, well, if you scratch deep enough, you know, you might find uh, similarities. But uh, there is a sense in which there's certainly a difference. These local churches are entirely independent. So even when the Southern Baptist Convention makes a resolution or whatever it is, none of those things are binding upon the churches in any way. Um, there's not going to be any discipline handed down upon the pastors. The only thing that the convention can do is simply remove a church from its convention. It has no authority over that local congregation. That's really the the heart of the difference. So uh, the even the structure you're talking about that kind of uh, kind of eventually elevates itself to the president. Um, what is it about the SBC? So it, it's clearly something um, very influential. It's something um, like, for example, I haven't seen that that though you guys have disagreed much. I haven't seen you say, "Well, forget the SBC." It's clearly something that's that's a uh, a good of sorts or else you wouldn't be sort of, you, you wouldn't have stayed there. What is it about the SBC? Do you think that's um, that like what you see is like maybe the black hats want it, the white hats want it. it what is it about it? What, what makes it uh, desirable? I suppose. Yeah, it certainly has huge influence. It has huge influence in uh, the work of missions. I was just talking to a missionary who is not with the international mission board, again, which is the SBC entity that focuses on international missions. This missionary was with another organization, and he said, you know, the IMB really is the BMW of all the missions agencies. So, like, <laughs> they, you know, you, it, they, they, there's, the organization is huge. It's, um, it's well organized, but you can't put your trust in organizations. You can't sure. put your trust in and good plans, and that seems to be the problem. We need, we need, we've got a lot of rot uh, all throughout the Southern Baptist world. But it's not the structure itself that's the problem. It's the part of men and women that has to be changed. So that that influence is certainly there in the international missions. It's also there um, throughout kind of evangelicalism. It seems to be yeah. a lot of what happens at the Southern Baptist world seems to have an impact upon broader evangelicalism. Uh, the Southern Baptist also has a great uh, history. So, you know, Founders Ministries is 
kind of signaling the foundations. And if you go back to the 1689 Baptist Confession back there in London, also called the Second London, it came over to Philly. It was basically uh, has so so much in common with the Westminster Confession of sure, Faith. Sure, right, uh, right. It's the Baptist version, you know. It's yeah. the enhanced enhanced yeah. version of the uh-huh, Westminster. Right. It came over to Philadelphia. <laughs> It went down to Charleston. That confession landed at the very founding of the Southern Baptist Convention. I believe it was 1845. And every delegate that came to form that Southern Baptist Convention came from either churches or associations that held the 1689 Confession. So you have this reformed heritage of the convention that, of course, is is all but lost. I mean, there's just a very small minority in the Southern Baptist world that holds that now. Right. And uh, at any rate, but you have that history. So we'd love to fight for it and see it recovered. I think those are some of the reasons that people um, stay within the Southern Baptist Convention or Southern Baptist world. But even then, I got one final reason is because it's not like being a part of a formal denomination. It's not like saying I'm a part of the PCA. It's we're independent churches. And so it's basically, yeah, I'll continue to partner with these other independent churches for the cause of missions. Okay. but you don't have to find your identity there. Like you don't have to be like I'm PCA or I'm OPC or I'm Missouri Synod Lutheran. It's not like that because we're all independent congregations that are just deciding to partner for the sake of missions. And the work that, for example, the church I serve uh, does in missions is far broader than what we do with Southern Baptists. They're just it's one of the things we do as a local church for the sake of uh, Christian witness. You still think this is a, a cause worth fighting for, essentially. I do. I think it's going to be a very, very long, long uh, work and battle. And I think by even being willing to stay Southern Baptist right now is a sign of just how big tent we are, which is quite interesting because there's there's a narrative. David French has rolled this out about these fighting fundamentalist pirates that have tried to take over the SBC, which makes me laugh because I'm thinking, what kind of fundamentalist do you know? What kind of Bob Jones fundy do you know yeah. that would... Stay in the SBC that has done the ridiculous things that we have done. So the very is, fact is that you're in, in the SBC in, is who in the SBC? French. Oh, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but that's a narrative that's being sure, cast. Sure. And um, at any rate, you've got to be a big tent person. You've got to be kind of a broad-hearted Christian to stay within the Southern Baptist world right now and continue to operate. There is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is the confessional standard of the Southern Baptist Convention. So you do have to have a general agreement with that Baptist Faith and Message 2000 to be in happy cooperation uh, in the SBC. You can be removed if you are clearly outside of that confession. Can you tell us a little bit about, so I mean, you mentioned uh, the 1689 confession was actually at you know, the founding in, in 1845, um, what have been like popular trends since 1845 within the SBC? So in other words, like how do we get to, you know, the, uh, could you, in a broad, ter- uh, broad sense, can you take us from 1845 to that convention in 2019? Absolutely. Things started getting wonky late 1800s, early 1900s. And as with, uh, evangelicalism in America, right? There was yep. a there was liberalism. So you had, you know, you can look at the 20th century and see that whether you were Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist, you basically had a conservative uh, wing of each, and you had a liberal wing of each, and the conservatives had far more in common with 
uh, guys from other denominations than they did with some within their own denomination that were on the left side of things. And so every denomination splits. You know, you have the PCUSA, PCA, and you have the same kind of thing going on in the other denominations. Well, in the Southern Baptist world, there was a big battle for the Bible known as the conservative resurgence. You can look this up online. You're going to hear a lot about it. But it was this it was this great effort for the Baptist, the Southern Baptists to say we're inerrantists. We believe the Bible is inerrant. It's the authoritative, infallible word of God. And there was a big battle over that. So there were moderates and then there was a whole process. They they knew they you have to elect a conservative president of the Southern Baptist Convention because that elected president serves for one year, but traditionally he always gets two years. So he gets two years of appointments. That means he establishes a committee that establishes another committee that establishes all the empty seats on your trustee boards. Well, if you can string together enough conservative presidents that believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, they're going to appoint um, committees that will appoint trustees on your entities that believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And you can remain conservative in this leftward drift that's happening in all of broader evangelicalism. And that was successful. So the conservative resurgence worked, you know, it went through and. Southern Baptists are still known today as inerrantists, those who have remained conservative. The problem is now that we're not paying uh, great attention to what is in that inerrant word, and there's still yet another threat of drifting into uh, liberalism. How about the 2000s? Like, since you said you mentioned in 2000, they made the, they drafted up the, uh, what did you call it? Yeah, the Baptist Faith and Methods 2000 is the confessional statement. Um, it's not it's not a great statement of faith okay. uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It means that you're not going to have any comparison to the 1689 confession <laughs> or one of these more historic confessions. Sure. There's also the abstract of principles, which is a confession drafted up in the 1800s, um, which is far better than the Baptist faith and methods 2000. There's another Baptist confession known as the New Hampshire confession of 1853. Another good historic Calvinistic Baptist confession, far, far better than the Baptist faith and methods 2000. And so you're not dealing with any kind of great reformation that's going on during this conservative resurgence, which I think was like, say, 1990s-ish, 1980s, 1990s. I think that's, that's kind of in the, the season of this conservative resurgence. So you're dealing with a massive denomination. I believe we claim 15 million uh, members, and wow. there are... Five million of those members just about in church on Sunday. It's like weekly attendance. So you have this massive denomination. I think it's 50,000 churches um, that that at least has to hold to the Baptist Faith in 2000. Um, But many, 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 the vast majority of those churches don't actually come to the convention or anything like that. The very low participation to, to become Southern Baptist, like some people have discovered that their churches were Southern Baptist and they didn't even know it because the Southern Baptists just happened to claim them because somebody wrote a check to one of the seminaries to support okay. their work. Okay. And all of a sudden, the Southern Baptists have made you Southern Baptist. Yep. So it's a, it's a wild place. Non-denominational people are just quaking in their boots. Like, am I also Southern Baptist? I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah, those non-denoms that dunk their uh, dunk people based on profession of faith. Yeah, they're probably getting, they're probably Southern Baptists. Yeah. I grew up non-denom and I, it was always very funny to me to hear like, oh, so you guys are Baptists. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We are not Southern Baptists. 
Um, <laughs> uh, it always seemed to me like they wanted to be like, uh, not the enemy in footloose, you know, like they wanted to be like, we are bat Sure. We do baptize upon profession of faith, but we, we would never ruin a prom night or something like that. That seems to be the <laughs> distinction. I don't know if you have a better distinction between non-adoms and Southern Baptists, but that seems to be it. No, it sounds like a place. Um, okay, so can you can you the so the last convention? I mean, that was really the last time. I mean, far be it for me to trifle in these big matters of the SBC, but the last time that it got covered on this podcast was when David Shannon came on to talk about his role in the documentary that you guys made called By What Standard, and it was about the 2019 convention. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there in the 2019 convention? Was it 19, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you want to go back there. Okay. Um, well, yeah, resolution nine happened back there. I mean, this is resolution nine since spread far and wide. So you can, you, your sure. listeners can probably get quickly brought up to speed, but it basically was a, well, I guess let's just start with what a resolution is. Um, what happens is any, any messengers, any Southern Baptist can send in a resolution and just, that's just a public pronouncement. Be it resolved. This is what we, this is what we believe. This is what we're for. So you submit a resolution. I submitted one this year for the 2021 Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and then there is a resolutions committee. So the resolutions committee is uh, made up of a number of people that field all of the submissions. They can do a number of things with the resolutions. They can decline it or they can present it to the convention for vote. You got to remember, we had, I believe it was 15,000 messengers. That is 15,000 voting persons in the building in the 2021 convention with ballots. I mean, we're, it's like a massive Robert's Rules of Order event. I, I think it's like a sociological event. I don't know if any other. That's the Super Bowl for of, Robert's Rules, people. It is the Super Bowl for Robert's Rules. I don't know if any other organization that exists that has that many people come together for a Robert's Rules of Order right. business meeting. So at any rate, the resolutions committee receives your resolution and determines whether they're going to present it to the convention. Uh, back in 2019, there was a resolution submitted uh, regarding critical race theory and intersectionality, and the resolutions committee received that, modified that, changed it significantly, and the, what they presented to the convention for vote in 2019 was the resolution that advocated for critical race theory and intersectionality to be used as analytical tools. Now, there were qualifications that they tried to make, but at the end of the day, they said, we need to use, um, we can use these theories as tools, as analytical tools. So that was a bad resolution. Uh, Tom Askell, who I served with here at Grace, attempted to amend that from the floor. You can go to a microphone and you know make a motion to amend uh, we were trying to amend it and cite the Marxist origins of these tools that we're going to use. The resolutions committee then has a decision to make. They can receive it as a friendly amendment, which means that when they present it to the convention, the floor of the convention is most likely going to vote for the amendment because the resolutions committee has signaled that it's friendly. Or they can receive it as an unfriendly amendment which means when that amendment goes to vote to the floor, the floor of the convention is probably going to strike down that amendment, not vote for it because, well, the credentials committee up there said it was unfriendly. And uh, Curtis Woods, who was the chair of that resolutions committee, received it as an unfriendly amendment. And then Tom's amendment was not added to resolution nine. They did not vote for it. And then when we voted for the resolution as it was presented, 
it was accepted. So the Southern Baptists are on record in 2019 as saying, yes, we will use critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools. Right. Okay. And, it, and you can, even if uh, they don't want to do the Googling and the articling, but there was, there is a free documentary, I believe still able to be seen on the internet called by what standard. And it covers all that um, in really dramatic fashion. I mean, were you there? Were you at that one? I assume I was, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I tried to stand up right after Tom and argue for his amendment. Okay. Uh, there's a ton of microphones in this room. You know, there's thousands and thousands of people there and they got a jumbotron and lights on you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I tried to, I tried to speak and they recognized my microphone, but they recognized that when it was somebody who had to speak against his amendment, it got was it. the time to speak against. And so uh, at any rate, I wasn't able to do that, but it was a dramatic moment. Indeed. There were people, you know, it always, the Baptists can get a little rowdy. And so there was some, there was some barking from the floor about decisions that were trying to be made. And there was an attempt to bundle the resolutions, which means you take a bunch of them together. And resolution nine was one of them that was before everything happened. So you had to, had to stand against them trying to bundle the resolutions and vote on them like a block. And so it was a dramatic time indeed. I feel like, yeah, the, the Roberts rules was, were, were really pushed during that moment. Uh, you guys may have to like institute instant replay, like at the conventions you guys start doing. Um, That's right. How how did so one one reason I wanted you to set up 2019. So obviously there wasn't a convention in 2020. Am I right? That's correct. It got uh, mm-hmm. shut down because of COVID. Yeah, we were yes. There were there were people's lives were at stake, so the SBC did not meet. But 2021 just happened. How did how did how did 2021 go in relation to 2019? Were there things that were undone or did were there added? How, how did that go? Yeah, it was it was it was a mess. Put it that way, <laughs> it was a mess, and okay. for multiple reasons. I mean, I, we probably don't have time, Jake, sure. to discuss everything. Sure. You wouldn't believe how many how many crazy stories I could tell you from this Nashville convention. But regarding Resolution Nine, probably the the primary story I'd share with you is that Tom has been very vocal for a long time that he's going to make a motion to rescind resolution nine from two years prior. That's a, you can actually make a motion. It's not, it's not a new resolution. Okay. You have, you have the ability to do new resolutions, but you can also being a Robert's rules of order, you know, business meeting, you can also make a motion uh, to rescind it, to, to strike down what we did back in 2019. It was bad. We should repent of it. We should take it down. And uh, he made that motion at the outset of the convention, and there was an uproar of applause. There's actually 20,000 people that were there, 15,000 people that could vote, and just a huge amount of this auditorium starts applauding when he makes his motion to rescind Resolution 9 from two years prior. Now, they just have to, you're basically just registering that motion. You're not going to debate it at that time. You're not going to, you know, they're not going to give you a decision at that time. As the convention went on, we came to the time of resolutions. So just like they did in 2019, there's a bunch of resolutions. Now, there was a resolution submitted to the resolutions committee on the incompatibility of critical race theory and intersectionality and the Baptist faith and message. So there was an attempt to submit a resolution that would have contradicted the one from 2019. Right. That was submitted to the Resolutions Committee. Again, I've already told you the Resolutions Committee can do whatever they want to do with these resolutions, right? Decline them, accept them, 
refer them. Uh, you can refer them to another resolution that you accept as the resolutions committee. Okay, so that's one option they have. Um, when you submit your resolution, you can have different people sign it. Okay, like we have been told that the most people who have ever signed a resolution is like five people. Okay, the resolution that was submitted in 2021 that focused on the incompatibility of CRTI with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 yep. had over 1,300 signers. Wow, 1,300 plus. Okay, so the resolutions committee does not accept that resolution. Um, they don't decline it directly. They have their own resolution, which they number resolution two. And resolution two is on the sufficiency of scripture and racial reconciliation. And resolution two that they put forward renounces any theories and worldviews that are bad, but it doesn't say a single word about critical race theory and intersectionality. Critical race theory and intersectionality will not be named. They're not named in the resolution at all. It's just we're against these theories and we're for the Bible. Okay, and good. then they have, they have to print all of the titles of the resolutions that they don't accept. So in the daily bulletin, it's called, you know, you have 20,000 of these printed. You look and you can see there, okay, there was a resolution submitted on the incompatibility of critical race theory and intersectionality, and it was not accepted. It was referred to, guess what, resolution. It was referred to resolution two. Now, of course, the one that was submitted had, was all about CRTI, and we just uh, adopted CRTI as an analytical tool two years ago. Yep. But now the resolutions committee doesn't want to use that language. They very clearly don't want to make any kind of statement on critical race theory and intersectionality. So as everybody knows, this is a heated moment. Everybody's been waiting for this moment. They know this is a move that the resolution committee is doing. They're not, they don't want to address the CRTI thing. They don't want to address resolution nine from two years ago. And as soon as it's presented, as soon as resolution two presented, there's all these people at microphones everywhere ready to speak. And the first guy gets up there and he's arguing in the affirmative of resolution two and his whole, he went on a monologue about, about, to be anti-CRT is just as bad as to promote tenets of CRT. Nice. And he's arguing against using CRT language. And so everybody knows that there's going to be trying to amend this, trying to get the anti-CRT deal in there. And people were resisting that. So uh, James Merritt, the pastor, he is the chair of the resolutions committee. He gets up on stage and begins to preach and say, you know, if some of you were as passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ as you are about critical race theory and intersectionality, and he meant uh, as passionate as you are against critical race theory and intersectionality, well, we'd win the whole world to Jesus like tomorrow. So he's basically rebuking anyone there who's trying to reject critical race theory and intersectionality. And he's saying, we're not going to put it in. We're not going to amend it to say CRT. We're not going to address it for the sake of our witness because the world is watching us. That was the phrase over and over again. The world's watching us and the upper crust leadership of the SBC is convinced that if we said CRTI is bad and will hurt you, don't, don't hold it. If we were to say that, well, then we wouldn't be able to do evangelism. That's right. essentially what, what their position is. And so resolution two was adopted as written uh, there was no amendment made, and the convention has not is not on record now about CRTI. So two years ago, we adopted CRTI as analytical tools. 
and in 2021, Resolution 2 rejects any bad theories and worldviews, whether the convention thinks that the RTI is one of those worldviews or not is up to somebody's guess because we didn't, we didn't name it. So to finish the story, what's interesting is the next day you come back and they're going to make a ruling on Tom's recommendation that we rescind Resolution 9. And they came back and said, well, brother, from the, from the platform, we can't rescind a previous year's resolution. You know, it just can't be done. It's against the rules. If you disagree with a previous year's resolution, what you need to do is submit your own resolution that contradicts one that you disagree with. <laughs> of course, we stood at a mic and said, we just did that with 1,300 signers, and the resolutions committee didn't receive it, didn't accept it. So the reason that you haven't probably seen as many um, public bombs is because there was a great, great work done to suppress that it would happen. They did not want to mention CRTI at all. They wanted to stay out of the Washington Post. They didn't want to be called racist for rejecting CRTI and all that kind of stuff. Do you think maybe, uh, so yeah, is the main, is a fundamental, um, engine on this, like being, uh, like, are they thinking the optics already of what SBC people and slavery, like if we came out with this, like we are dead in the water, Washington post will nail us to the wall. Is that, do you think that's the fundamental motivator behind all this? That is absolutely the fundamental motivator. That is the fundamental motivator. And it's not just, it's not just, hey, we Southern Baptists have a history, a bad history on this thing. Um, it is a compromised view of evangelism. It's a compromised view of public witness for Christ. It's a theological less approach to Christian living and church life. And this is this is very clear because if you look at Resolution One, and that the Southern Baptists did in 2021, there was actually um, it was something about our unity. I think um, was the title of it. But there's actually a statement that said we're not going to allow any personal, theological, political, or sociological interest to supersede evangelism. Well, just think about that for a minute. You're not going to let your personal theological interest supersede evangelism. Of course, your theological interests right. supersede evangelism. Theology informs your evangelism, but not for Southern Baptists, not for Southern Baptists. And so that was an attempt. Resolution one was an argument to take resolution two as written. And so there is this um, overwhelming sense that the world is watching us. And if we say these theories are contrary to Christ, if we really stand here and, and speak the truth on these matters, well, then we're going to burn bridges. We're not going to become all things to all people. You know, we're not, our conversation won't be full of grace and seasons of salt. That's the, that's the thinking of the vast majority, really all of the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention. There it is. Would you say you're with Founders Ministries? How does Founders relate to something like the SBC? I mean, it's not like there's no binding connections or anything of that nature. But how, how would you guys see yourself relating that way? Yeah, Founders is not any kind of entity of the Southern Baptist Convention or organization of the Southern Baptist Convention in any way. Okay. And so Founders is a, is a teaching ministry, and uh, we're certainly will get involved in what's going on in the SBC, and we'll consider those things in our public teaching and ministry. Uh, but Founders is broader than the Southern Baptist Convention, so we're not any kind of entity or agency. Okay. So was that something founded by Tom? Can you give me a brief, tell me about Founders a little bit. 
Yeah, Founders has been around for 30 plus years now. And uh, they were formed by a group of men, uh, a handful, six, seven, eight men uh, that were um, all, I think they were all associated with the, in the Southern Baptist world. And they saw that inerrancy was a, was a big battle line. But from the, outside, from the outset of the ministry, they knew that they needed reform doctrine as well. They needed this understanding of the doctrines of grace, that inerrancy was not going to be enough, that the Reformation had to be deeper. And from the beginning, uh, Founders Ministries has been for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. And that's been held true throughout the 30 plus years of its ministry. And so, yeah, Tom uh, Askell was there at the very outset of that. And, uh, yeah, there's just tons of information. Founders.org, the website, there's a quarterly journal that is published online. There are articles that are published online. There's the Sword in the Trial podcast that we do weekly. Uh, there is the Founders Press, probably 50, 60 plus titles that are published through Founders Press and more works ongoing there. Uh, we hold events. We have a Founders Conference coming up in January called Militant and Triumphant on the Doctrine of the Church. We'll have Odie Bauckham preaching there, Tom and me. We actually have James Coates from up in Alberta, Canada coming down uh, to preach as well. Conrad and Bayway uh, will be there also. Um, I'll be there. Yeah, so there's, there's all those kinds of things. You're going to be there. That's wonderful. Yeah. We also have the Institute of Public Theology. So that's a recent uh, theological training uh, initiative that we'll be launching in August and uh, there to equip uh, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's all sorts of arms of the ministry. You can go to the website to get more info. Awesome. How did you get, how did you get wrapped up in it? I got wrapped up in this from really connect. I think I was reading Colin Hansen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Tom and Founders is mentioned in Young, Restless, and Reform as kind of one of these movements that are associated with, you know, look at all this, how Calvinism's popping up all over the place here. And uh, I was actually in ministry not far from where Tom was at. Okay. And so began to discover this heritage. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, but I had no idea about the 1689 Confession. I had no idea on the uh, faithful Reformed heritage of Southern Baptists. So it was at that time getting connected with Tom, the church, that I started to hear about Founders Ministries, started to hear about the 1689 Confession, and the rest was history. Okay, awesome. Well, you can find Jared stuff from Jared at that website. Uh, Jared, anything else you want to plug? Do you, you, do you, do you have a website? Or do you have a Twitter? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I have a Twitter and a Facebook, and... Uh, founders.org and the Institute of Public Theology.org. Those are two websites uh, where you can find out all sorts more information. And you're on the pod weekly. And uh, like you mentioned, there's all, there's all kinds of media. You guys got a lot of media going on. There is. Yeah. I mean, you find us on YouTube, you find us on Instagram. Um, I all over you those guys places. have to be like cranking some, you, you have to be one of the leaders in like Southern Baptist media. Am I wrong? Am I missing somebody? <laughs> I trust your judgment, Jay. All right. That's what I do. All right. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, awesome, Jared. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>